As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and Armchair Media, Season 4, Duke Week. It's been a long nine and a half months since BC last took the field in the Birmingham Bowl. And the last six months have been unlike anything the world has ever seen before. But, in spite of all that, we are officially just three days away from the debut of Coach Jeff Halfley and the 2020 edition of the Boston College Football Eagles. On today's episode, we'll recap an eventful first full week of college football, break down the BC depth chart that's hot off the presses, and preview what the Eags got to do to pull off the W in Durham on Saturday. Matt, I truly cannot believe we've actually made it to game week. This felt like the offseason that would literally never end for a variety of reasons. It felt like we'd never have college football ever again, period. But we are now just days away from the Blue Devils. The half are kicking off. The Big Ten announced today they're back. So things are feeling back to normal, and I don't even know what to do with my excitement. Uh, we have a huge week one kickoff show today. But before we get into it, a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. As we said, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. I like the get in plug they included there. Uh, From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures now. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, before we get into it, we got a lot of housekeeping notes that I kind of want to check off. You cool if we clean the house a little bit? Absolutely, Matt. And and right off the top, you mentioned Get In. I don't know if you guys noticed it at the front, but we're officially the Get In podcast. We officially left a lot of dudes behind, and we're on to a new chapter in the Jeff Halfley era. So excited to uh, to have the inaugural show here just days before kickoff, Matt. Yeah, but important to note, Matt, I know uh, we the Lot of Dudes podcast is, is dead. Fourth and Dude is not going anywhere. As if we just, we, we I think, have a, if, if you were doing like a marketing case study, I really don't think we've handled this properly. Um, we've always been kind of unclear, but we're still Fourth and Dude on the Twitter.com and the mm-hmm. Instagram.com. Uh, but it's the Get In Podcast. So Matt, remember we talked about and, that like season one and you're like, nah, yeah. I'll be fine. We were like, no, this we'll, will we'll have multiple names. Yeah, it's a problem now. Yeah, well, Steve Adazio at that time was going to win like 10 national championships and we were just kind of ahead of the curve. Uh, anyway, so here we are. Some other things to keep an eye out. We are going to be dropping our 2020 koozies, COVID-themed. They are sick. We're dropping those probably around when the time when this episode releases. And then we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we are going to be attempting uh, technologically capabilities, notwithstanding a weekly live show uh, before kickoff every week called Tailgate Beers. We'll talk about that. Um, and then lastly, no Sylvia on this episode, but he's going to continue to be a frequent guest. He's going to officially get the keys to the Instagram, uh, bring some interviews with former players. He'll be a part of Tailgate Beers and, and much more. So uh, overall, kind of a lot of exciting things all happening at once. But like we said, it's a new era. And Matt, a little Easter egg for folks listening at home. There's going to be a lot of new segment names. So we're the same We're the same guys, but there's going to be some different names that you're going to notice over the next hour. Matt, it's a good segue. Let's let's do this. Let's get right into our first segment. It's called, is the glass half full or half empty? I don't know if you guys get it. It's it's HAF for Coach Halfley, half full. Yep. It's, um, it's going to replace Dude and Pood, so the, the loyal listeners might remember that segment. That one's officially retired as well. We're going half full. Matt, you mind if I kick it off? Matt, please do. That'd be awesome. 
All right, well, you kind of hit it on the beginning, but you know, just the fact that football is officially back. Uh, if you listen to the episode we recorded about a month ago, I think we we're all pretty skeptical that this thing was actually going to happen. BC's really led the charge. BC's done a great job with COVID testing, um, despite some of the recent blips uh, that's happened on campus this past week. Um, strictly talking the football team, Jason Baum tweeted out that as of yesterday, BC's completed over 2,000 tests with just one positive uh, test result. So I don't know. I'm not an accountant, Matt, but that's 0.05%, which is a very, very minute amount. So that's pretty impressive there. Yeah, I would completely agree. And that was my, I've got a couple half fulls and half empties, but that was absolutely my first one as well. BC continues to be undefeated on COVID. It's amazing that that not every team can figure it out. I know there's different challenges depending on, you know, the region that you're in or, or how seriously maybe your coaches are, are taking it. But the fact that they've had the track record that they have and a couple of other schools, I think, you know, Virginia's also been a leader as well. So really puts us in, in kind of elite company in terms of how we handled it. Uh, my half empty related to that, and by the way, the half fulls and half empties don't always have to be related, but in this case, it kind of works out nicely. My half empty related to that is breakouts are beginning to happen on BC's campus and colleges around the country. I think Michigan State recently announced they're kind of getting everyone off campus and maybe a few other colleges colleges followed suit. And I think it was like 80 outbreaks uh, at BC in the last week. So again, even more credit than to the to the football team for, for staying clean. But uh, it is a little scary because it's obviously starting to encroach on the student body. So half empty on that side, but hopefully we can keep things rolling. Yeah. And I think we're going to see it as a real competitive advantage, the schools that are able to, and the football programs that are able to keep it together and, and who, you know, who can't. We saw Texas Tech, I think is one that's been in the news. Their entire football team has COVID. We saw what Virginia Tech and Virginia yep. um, in recent days had to push their game back. NC State's been a troublemaker as usual. Uh, Dave Dorn, classic. Can Dave Dorn do anything right? Like he has one job and he he is a bad guy. He's a bad football coach. And now he's a bad <laughs> epidemiologist. That's right. You know, obviously, it's great that first and foremost, no one's getting sick. And, and that's the most important thing here. Obviously, these are these are, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids and they got a life to live and all that. Um, and that's that's obviously important. But, you know, from a competitive standpoint for BC, it's huge. I mean, no one's missing practice. No one's missing film study. You know, from a game standpoint, what a distraction it must be for the schools that are getting infected with this disease. It just has to be really impossible to keep any sense of normalcy in these locker rooms when there's that much disruption for these other programs. And, and like you started to touch on, it's just, it's really a testament to these guys for sacrificing any fun whatsoever. And, and literally what they, they go to, from the fish field house to, you know, maybe lower to grab a cheesesteak and then back to their dorms. And, and that's about it. So, you know, credit to these guys and, and credit to Halfley for setting the tone. And it's really a testament to the culture he's building. Well, and I think the other thing too, and Sylvia mentioned it on the last podcast about how if this was happening while he was there, the, the locker room he was in, they all would you know be accountable for one another and say, we don't want to go out and do something stupid to ruin the season for you know my teammates or whatever. And I think there's clearly a bond there. And I think there's probably a correlation between kind of the collective bond in a locker room versus testing results. So the other side of the coin is like, what is going on at these other programs that they can't keep this thing under control? Do people just, I mean, I'm sure it's a bit of a regional thing. I think depending on where you live, there's a level of, of seriousness that you're, that you're giving to this. And Boston is obviously you know, at the forefront of that. But do these guys just not care about whether it's guys who want to go pro next year or maybe people who just, you know, again, for whatever reason, obviously everyone just loves the sport, but they are that flippant about it that they're cool with essentially sacrificing a season for whatever it might be. I just feel like it's it's an indictment on a coaching staff and it's an indictment on whatever culture they built in a locker room. So uh, obviously the halftime era is off to a phenomenal start on the other side of that coin. 100%. So I'll get into my half empty here. It's also as, as a result of COVID, obviously, you know, we had to reshuffle the schedule. Um, we've seen a couple different uh, iterations of the schedule at this point. You guys remember, it seems like a while ago, but at one point we were supposed to start off with Syracuse in the opener, and then it was Ohio, and, and it would have been nice to shake the rust off against um, Ohio or Syracuse. Either either one would have been uh, you know, an easier game than the current one we have. The way, the way Sy- we'll get into it, but the way Syracuse looks, that would have been a free W for sure. But instead, you know, we're going first, first live ball action with a brand new coaching staff and quarterback and philosophy against a Duke team, you know, we'll get into it, that looked pretty darn solid. So Halfley had a press conference yesterday, I think it was, where, you know, he mentioned you usually see a big jump from week one to week two, where you can sort of get out the uh, the first game jitters and clean up the mistakes and all that. So, you know, I think Duke does have a bit of a competitive advantage from that standpoint. 
I will say that's likely mitigated from the fact that we now we have some tape on these guys while we're also keeping our what we're going to do, you know, unknown to them. So it's going to be tough for them to game plan against. And, you know, as we know, Halfley is just such an X factor. He's a savant when it comes to breaking down film. So whatever Duke did against Notre Dame this past weekend, I'm sure uh, Halfley's digested and has uh, designed an attack against it. Yeah, I agree. And I was going to talk about the the general sloppiness that we saw in week one, really everywhere and pretty much everyone's first game. Uh, Navy, what was this last week now? Like they basically just decided not to tackle, presumably because they haven't been doing a lot of it in, in uh, you know, in person in practice. And a lot of the other games, especially around the ACC, and we'll talk a little bit more when we do our roundtable. But the Georgia Tech Florida State game was like maybe the, the sloppiest football game I've ever seen. I think there were like 100. Uh, missed or blocked field goals. Matt, I, I know you'll recall this. If you remember the uh, computer game Backyard Football, mm-hmm. remember how they were like the special plays like Chameleon, Cough Drop, Hocus Pocus, etc. It felt like they were playing that game just with all of those things turned on all the time, like kicking the ball, you know, 100 yards left, fumbling constantly. Uh, the defense was wearing the same jerseys as the offense at one point, I think. So I completely agree with you. I think that's a very legitimate concern. I don't want this to even get out because it's such a controversial thing to say, but I wasn't a big backyard sports computer games guy. I was strictly NFL blitz when it came to that. Um, So just want to get that on record. What's going on? Is that like, do you see like a therapist about that? That's something I feel like you should talk about. I don't know. Maybe it's a regional thing, but up in... uh, I'm from the same region as you. Yeah, north of Boston. We, we, We were NFL blitz country, so... Okay, interesting. You're missing out, and honestly, I will say, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but that that uh, it, it has a, a lasting factor. It still it still plays. Put Got it that it. way. Okay, good to know. All right, is, is, that, we'll, is that what you guys do at business school? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I learned I learned accounting, and I play backyard computer games. That's Anyways, right. I have one more half full, half empty. Okay. Again, they're kind of related in a tandem here, uh, but I do want to talk about the jerseys. So the half full side is do. the throwbacks. Finally, we have both the maroon and the white throwbacks at the same time. And the red bandana jerseys, I like audibly gasped when those came across my timeline. Those are are even better than I think anyone could have imagined when I feel like it was talked about for a while, like, oh, the, you know, the gloves and the helmet stripes all great. But like if we can get that on a full jersey, these things are absolutely out of this world, outrageously nice. But my half empty on this is why are we still keeping the old ones? Just rip the bandaid off already. Let's officially move on. When they did the lineup of all five of the jerseys now, the two throwbacks, the red bandana and the two new ones. It was like they, they stood out like two incredibly sore thumbs. They're ugly. They've got the, the weird diagonal stripes on the pants. Like there's just no good reason at this point um, to not roll with with the kind of that that uh, three jersey set. So that's my half empty. I'm sure there might be some contractual things around it. Uh, but if I didn't talk about the jerseys, it wouldn't be a, a standard uh, episode, I think. The uh, the Twitter con- comments, I think, were unanimous on the hatred for those. Right. And you, you had a good Photoshop. That was a good tweet, Matt, where you, you sort of blacked out the ones that uh, – <laughs> the, the, the ugly jerseys. And we're left with a pretty good collection there. So I think that's – you know, hopefully someone, whether it's Bomb or whoever's calling the shots up there, saw that. But uh, to your point, I, I do think our days with Under Armour are numbered here because those guys are going out of business because they're all frauds. Um, and they stuff the channel and all that. Anyone that you know, watches the news knows that. So I'm glad we're getting away from And you also saw what they're trying to do with UCLA backing out of their deal. So anyway, Under Armour, I think, is probably going to be a thing of the past within the next year or so. So hoping we can switch over to like a Nike. And, and obviously, you know, you see what they do with a place like Oregon. I mean, we, we have great colors. We have a lot of alternative options. And obviously, we can do a lot with the, with the throwback. So storyline to watch going forward into probably year two of the Halfley era, uh, if I were to guess. Yeah, no, I would I would completely agree. Any other half full, half empty? I think this was a, a real success. It felt like we we've breathed new life into this segment. Yeah, I, I like it. Sound off in the comments if you guys hate it. We're always uh, open to uh, to changing around the names, but I think that went as well as it could have. So that's good. So we'll move on to the next segment here, which is also a new one. You guys remember Duteous Corpus, and I'll, I'll give Matt credit for this one. We're now changing that into Halfleyus Corpus. So you guys all know habeas corpus means something from a legal standpoint. Not sure. We're not lawyers. <laughs> um, but it's basically where we go into the courtroom and we decide what teams are guilty or innocent of being overrated or frauds or what have you. Of so, anything. We can charge them with anything we want, Matt. You, it you doesn't can. just have to be good or bad. It, That's exactly. the beauty of halfleyus corpus is that it just means something and we kind of figure out what that something is. Exactly right. So we'll head into the courtroom now and we'll talk a little ACC, break down last week's game action, some future opponents, and... Uh, We'll decide who's a, who's a fraud and who's for real. So, Matt, with that, let's let's head into the courtroom. Court is now in session. All right. So, I think we talked about week one and how, in general, everything was 
immensely sloppy, tough to watch. It, it really felt, frankly, worse, I think, than normal week ones, uh, even uglier. So I assume that this weird kind of segmented offseason caused a lot of problems there. And, and you know, I think it, it does show uh, the importance of like a full, you know, the full summer practice, the full spring practice. I think as, as fans, we kind of step back and say, look, if they had, you know, two weeks to prepare, they'd probably be able to figure it out. But clearly that's not the case. So, um, yeah, every game was was a bit of a disaster and really nothing made sense. Um, we'll go around the horn here, but I'll just kind of say off the top, none of these games individually made me more concerned about my win probabilities than I was beforehand. So if anything, after watching everything, I, I'm f- feeling even more confident about each individual game, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we can start with Duke Notre Dame. That's probably the best example where, you know, it was sloppy to start out and, and Notre Dame didn't show up for the first quarter. But it's like, all right, is Notre Dame really that bad? Are they rusty? Is Duke good? And you just have nothing to base on, right? So our, our strength of schedule, I believe, stayed constant no matter what based on who was playing um when you have have two opponents that are playing each other right i think think that's how it works right um but anyway if you guys saw over the weekend the duke notre dame game it was it was a lot closer than the final score the irish ended up taking down duke 27 to 13 and and rainy south bend but and we'll get into duke but but they looked pretty good early the the first quarter was 151 yards to 13 in duke's favor which i don't think anyone saw coming so it was it was really a close game up until up until the fourth quarter and I think it was just a, a situation where, you know, A, Brian Kelly, while we hate him, you know, is a pretty good coach. And um, I think he tried to go vanilla to start off with and figured, all right, I got this big offensive line. We can we can beat Duke without really opening up the playbook and then sort of found out that wasn't to be the case. Right. But but Duke made some errors that they had some turnovers and they couldn't convert in the red zone. Otherwise, that's a pretty different game heading into the fourth quarter um, and beyond. It's probably a, a one possession game if they could have capitalized on those opportunities. So, you know, whether you, you chalk it up to, to rust or it's maybe Notre Dame just lost a lot from last year, you know, which they did. They lost a lot of the skill guys uh, offensively. Ian Book didn't look that didn't look that great. So I don't know. It, it, it was an interesting game. I came out of there thinking, yeah, we we really didn't learn all that much because we have nothing to base it off of. So uh, I don't know what your thoughts were. And again, we'll get into Duke when we do the uh, the, the, the preview for this weekend. But I don't know. I, I kind of think Notre Dame will turn around next weekend. And and you know now that the rust is shaking off, but we'll see. They don't look elite to me. Not certainly not the tenth best team in the country. Yeah, I think that was that was my main takeaway. Again, we'll, we'll save Duke like you talked about, but you'll like this one, Matt. So I learned this one in, in business school this morning. I'm going to call on the Sarbanes-Halfley Act wow. and charge Notre Dame with fraud because there is no planet in the universe in which they are a top 10 team. Again, mm-hmm. I understand it was week one, but Duke is not an elite football team by any means. To only put up 13 yards in the first quarter, of course they figured some things out. But in no way, shape, or form is this a team that should be competing for a spot in the playoff if the playoff happens. By the way, I don't care yeah. if it's like the only, only the ACC is playing. They're not a top four team in the ACC alone. So I, I cannot say enough bad things about Notre Dame. On a scale, on a scale of one to Enron, where do you have them? Ooh, um, I would put them. I would put them higher than Enron. Wow, I think. no outcome. And, and Enron, everyone was in on, as you well know. I That's... mean, that was like, come on. So I, I think that, that it doesn't get much worse than them, but I would put Notre Dame worse than them. I just think they're a complete fraud. And and the only downside I will say to this is that we're scheduled to play them in November. And I think there is a, unfortunately, significant chance that we do not get November football games because I want to play them like tonight. And I just want I do. I do. I, I, I think that. What kind of attitude is that? We're not going to get to November. I thought we're past. I'm past all the negativity. We're playing. Well, we're I mean, get we're, a full like, I'm obviously hopeful. I'm obviously hopeful. I'm just saying in terms of the relative probability of games occurring, I would certainly put it at significantly lower that that game occurs than Saturdays, if that's fair. That's technically true. Uh, all right. Let's keep it moving. Uh, that was really, really good analysis. Anytime you can throw in uh, Sarbanes Halfley. And um, you know what? And, and, and chime in in the If you guys have any legal terms, I know we have a lot of JDs <laughs> out there. Um, any just any other relevant terms, anything political, legal, whatever. If you can make it even somewhat rhyme with Halfley, uh, let us know, and we'll use it somehow. We won't use it accurately, but we'll get we'll get close. Uh, so you, you talked about Florida State. I mean, what what is there left to say about Florida State? I mean, losing to a bad Georgia Tech team that tried to give the game away, three missed field goals, a bunch of pick sixes. I mean, it's it's great for our strength of schedule. We play Georgia Tech uh, in a few weeks, and then and we skip Florida State this year. But you know, obviously, the, the Florida State hype that was building—I never thought it was really warranted. 
Um, they were being mentioned as a top five ACC team alongside, you know, UNC, right, in Louisville. And that never, that really didn't make any sense to me. It's still the same offensive line. It's still the same mediocre quarterback. Norvell lost the locker room in like three months in. So I never really bought the hype with them. I wasn't surprised. I wish I had bet Moneyline. I, do, I took Georgia Tech with the spread, but I wish I had, t- I had taken Moneyline because uh, I saw that one coming a mile away. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and one note before I get more into the game, but the reason that I have some concern that we will have November football is because Florida State had like 100,000 people in the stands. And we all know that's a hot spot as is. Like, have a just read the room, guys, one time. Like, we are doing everything we can across the country to get NFL going, to get uh, to get college football going, to get all the other leagues going. We don't need that. All the other leagues are all right with no fans, and you guys are single-handedly going to ruin it for everyone. Um, but, yeah, no, like you said, it, it, it is always exciting when Florida State loses. I think we are unanimous in that they're our most hated fan base in the ACC. Um, I hate their fan base even significantly more than Notre Dame's fan base, personally. We, we had a, we had an incident, and not to go We've off had track some incidents. here. We, we had an incident, was it, the, the James We weren't the involved. To be fair, you and I weren't involved. We were we, we noticed it. Well, we, it was our, our buddy that was involved. Sure. We can't do well, defense. We can't be responsible maybe, maybe, for maybe everyone, you weren't can we? there. No, I think yeah. you moved sections after that, but I, I was I was in the thick of it with him. Um, but no, that was the Jameis game where he threw the uh, the Hail Mary at halftime, and otherwise we win that we win that game, and Steve Adazio still has a job. But but anyway, uh, what could have been that? What could have been? It's all been downhill for for Florida State since then. I was so I was really appalled that uh, so you know I was I was kind of keeping an eye on the game live, saw the final score obviously, and then watched like the full you know, whatever the ACC network releases, like the condensed, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 20, 30 minute game, whatever. And I was convinced for basically about the first 25 minutes of the 30 minute condensed game, I was like convinced that I had hallucinated or dreamed the final score. So I was like, Mm -hmm. there is no possible way that Florida State somehow loses this game. Georgia Tech was doing absolutely nothing to even remotely attempt to win it. Like I said, they missed about 100 field goals by my analysis. And the fact that Florida State didn't have not even a, a sniff of that killer instinct to step on the throat and actually put them away is very, very, very scary if I'm a Florida State fan. And I love it from everyone in this fan base. But yeah, those are two teams that I know we don't play Florida State this year, which is too bad because I feel like that's always a nice to, to have a, a winnable Florida State game. Georgia Tech, though, didn't really do a lot for me in terms of moving them up my concern rankings or ACC power rankings. Again, a win's a win. And I know it's we know all too well it's tough to win in, in Doak Walker, Doak mm-hmm. Campbell. Doak Walker uh, or Doak Campbell? Doak Campbell. Doak Campbell. Yeah. Um, it's tough to win in Doak Campbell, but, you know, they they were literally given that game on a silver platter and they needed like six offers before they actually decided to take it away. Right. Doak, I'm not so sure about Doak I think Campbell. it's Doak it's, Campbell. It, it sounds funny now. Um, Doak Walker, is that a running back award? I'm not sure, Matt. Let's keep yeah. it moving. Yep. Uh, Q's North Carolina. Not much to say. It was This was another slot fest where UNC didn't wake up till the fourth quarter. One note on that is, is if you had UNC minus 24, uh, what a rush that was after the, I think it was 10-6, right? Going yeah, into the it was, fourth it was quarter. like a four-point game all game, pretty much. And, yeah. and then, yeah, UNC scores three touchdowns to cover the uh, the 24-point spread. So uh, so that was thrilling. Do you want to, Matt, as, as, the, as the fraud accountant, do you oh, want to charge... Do you want to charge UNC as well? I mean, they're number 12 right now, no, right? That no, feels no, way no. too high. I think it's too early. And here's the deal with UNC. I think they have really good skill players. I don't think they have a lot around it. Like, I'm not scared of their offensive line, right? Or, or you know, I just think they have really good, obviously, receivers, a great quarterback. So I think it's going to take some time for the rest to, to, to shake off there. But what I will say is Q's is in danger of being kicked out of the conference. They're, they're right. just historically bad, and we're going to beat them by 60 again. I can't wait. Do you remember when everyone thought Dino Babers was going to be the, the next Bill Belichick, the next Davo Sweeney? Like, like he had one good year, and they everyone should, all of a sudden was anat- an, you know anointing the best football coach in the country. They should retroactively put Eric Dungy. They should give him the Heisman for that year for right. what he did. You know, he, he was probably added seven wins to that program when they won ten games that year. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I don't have a lot other thing. The only thing I do want to note, and I guess we'll talk about more when we get into the full season breakdown. Uh, the only team that has gone up in terms of my perspective of them on our schedule is Texas State. Yep. And I'm in no way concerned about this game. I want to be very clear about that. But that makes, that they've looked okay. But they've looked okay. Uh, you know, they, they, they it's, it should be an easy win. But if I had to change the win probability, I would increase their number by like 5%. So everyone else went down or stayed even. And they're the only team that, that moved the needle a little bit. I don't think they didn't play last weekend, right? They played that was the week before SMU. It was SMU uh, two weeks ago. Two but weeks it ago. was last week. So last week they played uh, yeah, University of Texas San Antonio, the Roadrunners. Not mm-hmm. a great football team, right? Correct. Um, but if you saw the game, 
They overcame a 24-7 halftime deficit. They had what should have been a game-winning 90-yard punt return um, with a minute to go. They missed the extra point and then lost a heartbreaker in double OT. I, I, I'm absolutely terrified of this game. Now it's a night game. That adds another wrinkle to it. These guys are the best 0-2 team in the country, and I am officially worried about Texas State. Everyone's saying it, the best 0-2 team in the country. I think that that's you're not alone in that analysis, I don't think. I'm going to take them to cover. I'm going to take BC Moneyline, but I'm going to take Texas State to cover. So Yeah, it'll be good value. BC Moneyline, you'll get minus 1,200 <laughs> on that. But that's a yeah, real smart bet there, Matt. So, all right, so what else? So, so just to wrap this up here, we're not going to talk about Coastal Carolina and Kansas. Um, I thought why would we why would we talk about Coastal Carolina and Kansas? In what world would that have worked its way under the card uh, for this I, discussion? I got, I got a little into uh, Pac-12 after dark. It sort of replaced that. Uh, okay. so I stayed up till like 2 a.m. watching that game. I bet Kansas to, to it's a long story. But anyway, Kansas <laughs> lost again to the Chanticleers. So we lost to them last year. Is, uh, the only team that ever Marcus, lost to them. Marcus Outlow still on the Chanticleers? He's not. He, he's not. He's gone? Okay. I think his eligibility has ended. Okay. Uh, just, just to wrap this up here. Uh, Louisville, Miami, Pitt all had easy wins. Clemson handled Wake. That's another game that I can't believe Wake covered. Um, I, I, I think it was 33 and a half, and Clemson yeah. was winning by 40 at one point, and they just gave up on, in the fourth quarter, and uh, Wake backdoored them, so that was awesome. But I think the point here is I don't think we learned an awful lot besides, you know, Florida State we learned something about. We learned a little bit about Q's. After that, I think the jury is still out on a lot of these teams, Matt. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a hung jury um, at, at best. Any other terms that we want to throw in that we can uh, – uh, halfly in jury don't really work. But I just feel like Les Miles is badgering the witness a little bit. Yeah, uh, I strongly I thought they were agree gonna, with that. thought they were going to turn around, and I was a little disappointed there. Uh, but outside of that, I, I think we can uh, – I think that does it for, for this edition of Halfley's Corpus, Matt. Yeah, that was a great – that was a great time back in the courtroom. I really enjoyed that. All right, court is adjourned. Let's talk some football. We have a lot to break down on the depth chart that was just released uh, on Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday, so I think it was released yesterday. Uh, but before we do all this, a couple quick words again from our sponsors. So just another reminder from our friends at Bet Online. Doesn't matter that you're not at a game this year, you can still get in on all the action on Bet Online. Everything imaginable to bet on from spreads, totals, team, player, props, even coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere online. Get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on all of your championship, division, et cetera, futures. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sports experts. And Matt, they're back again. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. There's one thing you can control, and that is keeping yourself looking sleek and clean. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Longmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. Longmower 3.0 is also a waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the dark, in the shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. It's a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, medium grit nail file, everything we need. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. It'll help you tame that summer or football season swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. Could come in handy if we have any close games this year. I'll just say that much. Uh, go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code armchair. It is time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving your trunk. Matt, with that, no better segue. Let's talk dudes. Let's talk, or I guess let's not talk dudes. Let's talk football players. Yeah, I'll just one quick note on the lawnmower 3.0. Uh, what a product that is. I use it every day. And uh, can't say enough good things about Manscaped, Matt. So that good ad read, really good job yeah, there. Yeah, no, Very it's, it's awesome. It's always good to have them on board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk depth chart, Matt. It's hot off the presses. Um, I made a joke uh, offline. I call it the or or chart as opposed to depth chart because it just has a bunch of ors next to it. Ah, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yes, that's okay. So, so I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, but I'm sure you have at this point. But obviously, the depth chart is supposed to tell you who's starting in every position. And Halfley opted not to do that necessarily. He uh, he listed a lot of ors, meaning he's not sure who's who's won the job. And in his presser yesterday, he, he sort of said that's by design. He wants to continue to foster competition. Whoever has a better week in practice will get will get the nod. And Matt, I'll just give you a big "I told you so" on Denny Grissel. Very much in the hunt for the starting job. 
everyone wanted to hand it to Djurkovic. And hey, Djurkovic is a great kid. I'm sure he's great. But let's uh, let's give let's give Denny some credit for what he did last season. Um, Signetti is obviously a quarterback whisperer. Who knows if Denny's taking a big a big leap? Maybe he's, he's ready for prime time. And I'm excited about that about that QB competition. I'm excited that the competition is going to continue to the season. And uh, we'll see we'll see who comes out of center uh, on Saturday, there, Matt. Okay, I mean, I just that's that's all well and good. That was a very nice, um, you know, very nice couple of things that you just said there. But if you think that there is any chance on planet Earth that Jerko doesn't come out for the first snap, unless we start with like the Wildcat package or something wacky, you're absolutely insane. This is gamesmanship. I don't even really get the point of the gamesmanship because I think everyone, everyone in Durham, North Carolina, knows that he's going to get the ball. Everyone in our locker room knows that he's going to get the ball. But again, I'm not going to doubt Halfley. He's a he's a, a kid genius. So. Uh, I think we're we're in good shape there. Remember, remember the Northern Illinois game back in seventeen? Yeah, we no, I thought, was thinking about that. We yep, all thought was, it was going to be Darius Wade and out yep. walks AB. Yeah, and that worked out well. But in that case, Wade was kind of the incumbent, so it's kind of the opposite of this scenario. Uh, sort of, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So otherwise, I'll, I'll kind of go around the horn on the offense, and I'll let you take the defense. But I, 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 I'll be quick. I really think this offense has a chance to be absolutely elite. There were some O line shakeups, more of a carousel so to speak than actual you know new names or anything like that like i think zion vrabel and patrulla are all going to be playing slightly different positions whether from you know guard to tackle or flipping left to right whatever but really no concern there i think we know the talent that the uh that we have in the o-line room and i think they'll continue to be as they've been for some time now the top o-line in the country an incredible stable of backs as we know again behind aj last year we had between levy Bailey, uh, Garwo, et cetera. I think we got a ton of guys poised for a breakout. Hunter Long is an excellent tight end. And then between we got Zay, Kobe, Jalen, Jalen Gill, Ethan Williams. We have weapons that we have not seen on the Heights in a very long time. Even if Jerko can be a, or fine, gross elf, if I'll, I'll play along with you. Even if we can have a, a middle of the line ACC quarterback, I think this is one of the best offenses in the ACC. And frankly, one of the best we've had on the Heights in, in a very long time with Maybe the exception of the Tyler Murphy years, but even that was kind of a, an unconventional uh, approach. So overall, I'm, I'm absolutely psyched to see what this offense looks like. Of course, I wish we had more of a tune-up, you know, against a Syracuse or or an Ohio, so these guys could really get, you know, working at maximum capacity. But I'll say, even if it doesn't look 100% perfect on on Saturday, I, I feel I have immensely high hopes for how this will come together over the course of the season. Yeah, I just want to throw a quick note in on, on the O-line shakeup. I, I guess my question is is why, sort of, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And obviously, I know that I'm not there uh, at, at practice. And if Halfley's doing it, there's a method to his madness. And But, you know, I've sort of also said all along that if there's one thing we're going to miss Daz for, it's his ability to coach up the O-line, develop guys, and, you know, year in, year out, have a top five O-line unit, right, more often than not. So, Again, you know, they're pushing Zion to, to left tackle. Petrula's at right guard now, as you said. Vrabel's on the other side now. And I know there's, I'm sure there's reasons for that, right? I think you're, you're the left side of the line is supposed to be better in pass protection. Right side, we'll let Sylvia, you know, handle this one. He actually knows football. The blind side. It's like the blind side. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point, Matt. Um, so, I don't know. Obviously, I, I'm sure, I, you know, they know what they're doing. And if it doesn't work, then they'll fix it. But my question is, I hope I hope they do know what they're doing because I didn't see that as a problem. I was just a little surprised there. But more importantly, like you said, we got weapons across the board. Matt, I want to give you my breakout dude on the offense. Your breakout get in. I mean, what are we going to call it? Breakout get in. I mean, dude's not like a swear word. We're still fourth in dude. I think we can we can leave breakout dude in there. That's fair. Kobe yeah, White. I can live with that. Kobe White. I know that's kind of a layup, but. At the same time, no one's really talking about him because, you know, we got all these new toys now with, with Gill and people are talking about Jericho instead. But, you know, people forget that, you know, Signetti was last time he was a, a college offensive coordinator uh, back in the Rutgers days. And we'll forget about his, his one year stint with the Rams. It didn't go so well. Last time he was a collegiate offensive coordinator, Signetti nearly tripled Mohamed Sanu's uh, output from the prior year and turned him into a, like a 1,200 yard guy. If he can do the same with Kobe, that's my prediction. I think Kobe, you know, finally has the attention off him and he can, you know, take advantage of one-on-one downfield. And I'm excited to see what happens with Kobe this year. Yeah, I agree. And again, but again, like it's just, it's, it's such a unique position for us to be in uh, where we are, you know, we've, we've had times where we're excited about the offense. I think last year we were all, you know, really looking forward to see what, what AJ could have done. But I think it's rare that we are fully excited about every position. We have years where we know we have a great offensive line and a great running back. We have years where we, you know, know we can throw the ball or whatever, but 
to be able to put everything together is, is, is so unique to a BC fan really since Matt Ryan that I frankly, I don't know what to do with my excitement. All right, let's flip over the defense and let's, uh, let's go through this quickly. I think there weren't a ton of surprises here on the D line. You have Shida Salah, uh, who won the, the left end job. And so that's, I mean, that's obviously huge as, as a sophomore and he showed some flashes last year. Uh, in the middle, in the interior, we get a couple grad transfers. We get Chabuzi Anwuka from Buffalo and, and Luke Beckett from Cal, who just got here like a week ago. Um, he's already lit it up in practice, so a couple grad transfers there to, to fill up the holes. And then my guy, certified public sack accountant Marcus Valdez uh, uh, on the uh, the right edge. So I think he's going to be great this year. I, I saw some film of him coming around the edge, and um, he looks like he's in midseason form based on the tape. So I really like that D line. Obviously, that's going to be a key this year. Our pass our pass rush last year was you know an embarrassment. So that's obviously an area they need to clean up. On the, the linebacker side, it's the three guys we're used to seeing, Lamont, Richardson, McDuffie, hoping that, that uh, Richard, Richardson doesn't have to do it all this year. He's got some help there. And, you know, McDuffie, we saw his impact in the pit game when he came back last year. I think he had like 27 tackles. Exaggerated, but not by a lot. And then the, uh, the secondary, you just have a ton of oars in the secondary. And that says to me that we have a ton of depth there. We can sort of mix and match till Halfley figures out the guys he likes back there. Obviously, that's his wheelhouse, and uh, we'll get the right guys in there. As of now, it's we got Elijah Jones, we got Jamin Muse, we got Deion Jones, and Brandon Sebastian across the board there. So, a lot of talent, um, and uh, I, I think this defense is, is in for obviously a massive improvement. It can't get worse. So, uh, so hopefully, if, if, if Halfley can even turn us from you know horrible to mediocre, that's a huge jump. So, uh, but I really like these guys, and I think they got a lot of potential. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key too. Is is that just making that incremental jump? It's almost like the Don Brown year. We had the best defense in the country, and our and or I'm sorry, yeah, best defense in the country and the most anemic offense in the country. And we said if we even could get you know a middle of the road or or, or slightly below average offense, we'd you know be winning ten games because there were so many of those games that we lost by I think less than you know less than like five points even. I kind of see it being a similar thing here. You know, I don't expect our offense to be as, as good as as what the defense was during the Don Brown years, but I still expect a very, very, very strong offensive output that if we can even go from, you know, basically the worst defense in power five last year to just like middle of the road, I think we will be a very, very, very formidable opponent and, and win a lot of football games, uh, as I think we'll get into when we talk about our, our season prediction. But overall, yeah, I think uh, I think I'm very excited about about the depth chart and just kind of seeing a lot of names that I think we're comfortable with and, and have seen good things out of, and then combining it with a lot of these new guys, uh, the two, you know, the many transfers that you've mentioned, we've got four of them starting now, two on the defense, two on the offense, if you count Jericho. So I really do think that there's going to be a big upgrade. And then again, I think, I think, you know, co- head coaching aside, what we know for sure about Halfley is his ability to, to coach up players, um, his ability to coach up defensive backs in college and in the pros, um, I know you know Richard Sherman talks about it all the time. I think, and a couple other guys who talk about his ability to get the most out of his team. So I have full confidence that he'll be doing that, even with the you know shortened time that he was able to spend with these guys. And I think really what we'll see is, if anything, kind of a taste of what will come once he gets a full season and a full off season, and, and kind of building on it from there. Yeah, and I think you know specifically on the defensive side, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly the scheme changes. And, you know, we'll, we'll save you getting into the X's and O's until Sylvia's back with us and we have some film to break down. But, you know, I was reading an article. I think the key really is simplification. You know, the way that Half attacked Ohio State's defensive problems last year was, um, you know, he, he said he just wanted to let the athletes be athletes, right? And, and rather than bog them down with, with all these complex schemes, just focus on the fundamentals. Remember, Je- Jeff Okuda uh, talked a lot about how Halfley stressed. Keep an eye on the quarterback so you can be opportunistic. Just stuff like that. You know, getting back to basics and, you know, letting these guys play the way they've always played rather than having to follow a bunch of instructions that, don't, that they don't understand. And, you know, I think a lot of this stuff was pretty easy. Like we saw in the Kansas game, a ton of deficiencies. And I think Halfley's been holed up all summer, probably looking at film, being like, what the hell is going on? So I would expect a lot of these changes to be fairly immediate. But I am interested to watch because because Duke's got some weapons in in the passing game, so that secondary is going to be interesting to watch to see uh, to see if we figured out the issues from last year. Yeah, no, I think I think you you definitely nailed it. Uh, you want to talk about Duke now, and then we'll wrap with kind of our final uh, our final season predictions. But we'll do Duke first, and then we'll go into uh, kind of the the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. Where do we? It's been a while. So where do we, where do you want to start with this? Obviously, it's a it's a COVID impacted year, so we, we don't yeah. have our usual segments. We don't have the tailgate ability. We're not going down there. Uh, what's first? Fun fact. 
Well, I'll tell you, Matt, I know we're not going down there, but I think tailgateability is still important to mention because as we all know, tailgateability is really just a cover for me to talk about the weather and the weather we're going to talk about because there is a hurricane that is on track for Durham, North Carolina. Now, I want to be very clear. I anticipate it based on the latest models that I've seen and all the spaghetti models that it's going to hit around Thursday and into Thursday night, but it's going to be a downpour. It's going to be like four or five inches of rain. It's going to be steady and it's going to be significant. We should be out of there in plenty of time uh, for you know Friday and, and ultimately Saturday. But one thing to keep an eye on is just if that does affect the travel when the team goes down there. I don't know how COVID impacts that if they're now going down you know late Friday night, but something to keep an eye on. Now, the good news is that we all know after a hurricane comes through, oftentimes there's a great weather front behind it. So we're going to have Football weather to a T. We're going to have partly cloudy, 65, dry, really just no excuses to not have an A1 offensive performance. We're not going to be able to blame anything on the rain. We're not going to be able to really you know, blame anything on a sloppy track. We'll have the whole you know, 24 hours before it dry out. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited about kind of watching this on the, on the television and seeing just a, a beautiful day down south. In terms of the tailgate ability side of it, obviously we can't tailgate and be there. But there will still be some mini tailgates, I think, happening because all the bars that we will be attending or, you know, if you're watching at your house, there'll be a big outdoor component. I just think that's kind of the nature of, of football in this time of year. So we're having very similar weather here in Manhattan on Saturday. High of Duke, very sunny. Uh, I know Dewey's is not open this year, but there are some bars that have been kind of kicked around the the uh, New York alumni group. But if anyone else has any you know, great sports bars in the area that can accommodate large groups. Definitely shout us out and we will uh, we'll try to get everyone together. So I'm excited. Uh, great weather coming in. And, you know, it's it's uh, what a way to start the year is just with football weather. And I think silver lining there is even if Maddie meteorology, even if, if even if that prediction is completely wrong, like it has been sometimes in the past, Matt, sorry to say that sometimes you're wrong about the weather. If, if it is a hurricane and it's raining. We get the better ground game. So I wouldn't even hate, Ray. It'll be the David Bailey show, and it's all good there. As far as tailgate ability, like you said, I'm going to be in Philly. And unfortunately, I locked in a great partnership with, with a bar down the street that was all set to become the official BC bar. But obviously, they're, they're closed, at least interior-wise, due to COVID. So we're not going to be able to, to make that happen this year, it's looking like. So got to find a contingency plan, um, but we're all in the same boat here. It might be a roof deck situation, have some folks over and mask up and do all that. So, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch. I'm sure everyone has a unique situation going on. But, uh, but like Matt said, we are going to try to do some type of live stream, whether it's before the game or maybe we'll jump on at halftime just to try to enhance everyone's uh, game day experience a little bit, give you guys something to do because since you're not actually at the game or at a bar usually or, or whatever. So, um, so, so stay tuned for that as well. And Matt, I do want to know, you mentioned, you mentioned masking up, but I want to stress that we are very uh, pro-mask and very pro-social distancing. So on the tailgate front, don't have 50 people over into your backyard. Just be smart about it. Go to a bar. Be safe. Again, we don't want to ruin this for for anyone. And you know, if it starts in, if there's another outbreak in New York, another outbreak in, in Philly. That's kind of all it takes. I feel like to spread it to college campuses and shut it down for everyone. So please be smart. We just want football. Just don't be an idiot. It's pretty easy. It's- Can you imagine t- taking your mask advice from the Fourth and Dude podcast? <laughs> that's a very fair point. But I feel like I just feel like I'd rather be on that side of history than not. So. Uh, yeah, definitely worth noting there. Uh, and we can all tailgate safely and responsibly at kind of whatever establishment we get together with. Matt, so we haven't played Duke before. So we have a little bit of a throwback. Our early listeners will, will recall this from season one. Uh, we have a very now rare top five plus six man notable alumni. And I'll be honest, this is a really good one to get back in the swing of things. Duke is, is kind of a loaded uh, set of alums down there in the Blue Devils. I agree. I'm with you. Um, with that, Matt, I'll take the first pick. And as you guys sure. remember, it's a snake draft. So I'll go first, and then I'll the snake. It's like fantasy football. You guys will get it. Pretty Matt, simple, yep. Number one is big coach Vince. Coach Ogabase, who is our D-line coach. He played at Duke in the late 2000s, was an All-American. This is a big revenge game for him. He's in my one spot uh, as far as famous alum. Okay, I'll be shocking, and I think he should be. That, that's shocking. He should be on the list, but... but- I think number one is is maybe a little bit high, but I love it. I love our loyalty to the uh, to the coaching staff in the locker room. I'm going to go a little bit more conventional for my picks. Uh, Richard Nixon went there. Anytime a president goes to your school, I feel like that's cool. BC, I, I can't believe we don't have one. But he went to the law school, technically. Okay, I, I'm going to count that. Yeah, I'll give it to you. So I think John Kerry didn't go to BC undergrad, right? I think he went to law school, but we would still count he, him if he if he had one. I think he went to the night school. You're thinking the mayor, but close. All right. <laughs> 
right. <laughs> Number three, I'm going to go with Tim Cook. Again, I think we're just talking about big names. I'm a business school guy now. Everyone knows that. You know, you want to talk about case studies? Just look at Apple, man. It's case study. That's business school life. So That's Tim right. Cook, CEO Matt, of Apple. Matt is now uh, an MBA candidate, and he is uh, he's talking as as one as we. Speak, I'm back so. to school. I'm a college. I'm back in college, and it's awesome. That's right. Um, all right, I'm going to go with Ken Jeong. Um, he's a, a big Duke fan. Sometimes you see him at Cameron Indoor. Um, he's a real-life doctor. He also played Leslie Chow in The Hangover, among other roles. Get this, Matt. He went to Duke undergrad and then UNC for med school. So he's sort of a uh, you know, behind him and, and me lines there. I think, don't we have a friend who is considering going to BU for med school? It's kind of the same boat Sort there. of. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, kind of the same exact idea. And then last but not least, I got Mike Posner in the five hole. Yeah, obviously. I mean, that was easy. <laughs> uh, if you guys know him, he, he was kind of the soundtrack of freshman. Well, not really. He was He's like a knockoff uh, diet Sammy Adams, I like to call him. He wishes he was Sammy Adams. He's not, although I think he's got a, a better net worth. Anyway, he's a, he's a fine singer. I don't know. I prefer so compared Sammy to Abiza is his late one that I'm sure our young listeners will know. But everyone else will know his whole first album. I, don't, I couldn't name you any songs. But that song you don't have to leave is a big one. Ibiza. Yeah, that's right. Ibiza. Right. So you say it. Um, all right. With the sixth and final pick, uh, I will go with uh, Matthew McConaughey's character in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Wow. So Matthew McConaughey, one. as we all know, went to Texas, but his character is from Staten Island and went to Duke. So I, I think that's a pretty good one to have. That's a great one. Hell of a film. All right. So well, hang I, on. You got to go through the you don't have you don't have any honorable mentions. Uh, I got Rand Paul. That's it, Pat. Okay, I've got a hundred. So I want to. I want to stick to sports. Stick to sports. That's what we do here. Uh, Drew Rosenhaus went there. Uh, I saw him in a hotel in Tampa once before the Patriots Bucks game, talking to some of his players. So that's a story that's not relevant to anything. I've heard that story thirty-seven times somehow. Yeah, it no, always, it's, I'm it a big celebrity. Up. I'm a big celebrity signing guy. Uh, you mentioned Mike Posner. I have to include Mike Studd, who is even like diet, diet, diet. Sammy Adams, but he kind of kicks around sometimes. I think he played baseball there. Uh, the actor who played Senator Robert Lipton from The Office, who was Angela's husband in the later seasons. Uh, Cara Diaguardi, who is the American Idol judge post-Simon. I'm getting a little bit deep into the network yeah, here, wow. but I feel like I got to list these off. Uh, and then Sam, who was played by Rob Lowe in The West Wing, so also a fictional character. And then lastly, they once again, like every single school we've ever played in the history of Boston College football, they have an astronaut. So I, I don't know why BC hasn't sent anyone to space yet. I think that's something that we need to address. I agree, Matt. You know how I feel about astronauts. All right. With that, let's talk a little bit of football here. Um, Matt, I went a little crazy on on the, the, the watching the film at Duke. Um, so let's just get right into it. What to expect this weekend? How are the Eagles going to beat them? We haven't played them since, uh, what was it, 2015? You guys all remember that 9-7 to barn burner down at, I think it was at Duke, right? Um, yeah. Where, uh, obviously Thanks a we, lot, we, Sylvia. Yeah, we had, we had a uh, you know a top two ranked defense that year and a bottom two ranked offense, I believe it was. And we went down there and we you know, I think Jeff Smith was playing quarterback until Flutie went in at quarterback and um, just couldn't generate any offense. But our defense held them, and uh, that day was just a nightmare. And I think it was a Thad Smith uh, touchdown that got called back that should have been. And, mm-hmm. and anyway, we ended up losing that game nine to seven. So a bit of a, a revenge game from that side. Talking a little bit about Duke, so they're coming off a five five and seven season. Uh, it was a strange year for them. They started out four and two, and they averaged thirty four points per game in the first half of the year, and they ended one and five, and they averaged sixteen points per game. So it's sort of which Duke's going to show up. I don't know if you remember this, Matt. They beat Virginia Tech by like forty last year, and then a couple weeks later they lost to Syracuse by forty three. Mm-hmm. So as far as last year's Duke team, you really don't know. Similar to us. One of the key offseason storylines for Duke was the addition of a transfer quarterback, Chase Bryce. He'd been riding the pine for Trevor Lawrence the past couple of years. Uh, so he came over from Clemson, won the starting job. Matt, fun fact, did you know that we were, when we were down in Death Valley last year, we actually saw Chase Bryce. He got some game action against BC last year. I feel like they let every high school quarterback in the state of South Carolina get some game action against us last year. Yeah, he, I think you're right. I think we were already in the parking lot at that point, too. Yep. Um, it was it was already 52-7 to 7 when he came in. He went 8-for-16 with a touchdown, um, so that's that's neat, something to note there. Uh, we talked about the, the Duke-Notre Dame game. He looked decent last week. He went 20-for-37 20 for 259 yards. He's not really a, a pure dual threat, but he did have 20 yards on the ground, a rushing touchdown. Cutcliffe is, is sort of a uh, – he doesn't ask his quarterbacks to do too much. 
And uh, you guys remember he had Daniel Jones a few years back and didn't really do much with it. So, you know, it seemed like last week it was just a lot of slants and, and, and curls and easy routes trying to get, get uh, Bryce comfortable. So I'll be interested to see if he does more of the same uh, this week. Um, and just, just to continue going through their offense, their run game's pretty weak. They averaged 3.6 yards per carry last year. Notre Dame held them to 73 yards on Saturday. They have a pretty mediocre offensive line. They don't have a lot of good skill players. They got this tight end, Noah Gray, who's pretty heavily involved. He's sort of a uh, Hunter Long 2.0. Jalen Calhoun's another weapon that they have. But um, I don't know about you, man. I didn't see a lot of separation. I, I, I wasn't that impressed with their offense as, as a whole on Saturday. Um, I think they're, they're much more predicated on playing solid defense as opposed to having much of an explosive offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you you nailed it, and that's that was my kind of takeaway as well. I see this kind of being a very slow game, almost kind of a you know a, a game that old school BC would love to play, kind of a Big Ten style, of just kind of a, a slog it out, hit each other in the mouth, kind of all those good football uh, football cliches we can think about. But yeah, I think that was very comprehensive. Uh, you pretty much hit on everything except for you know the kicker and the equipment staff. So uh, really nice, thorough breakdown all the way around. Hey, thanks, uh, Noah Gray, Lemonster guy. Lemonster okay. guy. Uh, you're not from Mass. That, that's a town no, in Massachusetts. Not. You don't know that. I know where I'm aware it's a town. It just doesn't do anything for me. You could list anyone's hometown. Jake Bobo is a Belmont guy also in uh, okay. in Massachusetts. So I don't know what happened on those. We, Daz must have whiffed on those guys, but um, those are two of their better players. So uh, they're local guys. So Yeah, I do have one thing to add quickly. So now yeah. with when COVID times, everyone's been doing a lot of virtual press conferences and everything like that. So David Cutcliffe has been seen on camera a lot without wearing his signature baseball cap. He's one of the weirdest looking gentlemen I've ever seen in my life when he's not wearing the the traditional hat. Um, I think this offseason is the first time I've ever seen him without it. It's like when golfers don't wear their hat and either they're really bald or they have weird shaped heads. Uh, that's pretty much what David Cutcliffe was. So from a from an intimidation factor, they've gone down about 15 points in my book since since before I saw him without a hat on. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a storyline to watch. Yep. Um, thanks for pointing that. He's actually yeah. calling the plays offensively, which is new this year. They, I think they're, they can last year's offensive coordinator, and he's stepping back in the booth. So um, interesting to note there. Uh, all right, so talking defense, like I said, they returned 73% of their defensive production uh, for a unit that was pretty solid last year. They are much better. They were much better against the pass. They were 24th in pass D uh, compared to rushing D. They were 87th, looks like, in rush D last year, uh, which bodes well for us, right? I mean, it's obviously we got David Bailey, we got the O-line. So, you know, I, I think we can bully them around a little bit. Uh, they run this this kind of weirdo four two five base scheme, so that they're kind of they, they take away a linebacker and drop back in the secondary, and then they load up the box. So they, they focus on getting pressure to the quarterback, and um, they don't want to give up the big play. They they try to get speed on the field. They did average three sacks per game last year, which is uh, which was good for twenty second in the country. And they got a couple stud DNs, uh, a couple of all ACC guys from last year. Chris Rumpf in particular has gotten a lot of hype leading into uh, this year. So that'll be a key matchup, uh, th- those two DNs against Zion and Vrabel and whether they can contain those edge rushers. Um, another strength for Duke is their secondary. They're kind of the, the inverse of us, at least last year, where their strengths are D-line and, uh, and D-backs and not much else. They, they did add star corner Mark Gilbert, who was an all-ACC guy back in 2017, but he missed the past few years with injuries. Uh, but they, they have a pretty solid unit there as well. So... All in all, I think uh, you know the defense, as far as the throw game, as we used to call it, um, I think it'll be a good test for us this weekend. But this is a defense that you know we can at least play with, and uh, I think it'll be interesting to see you know how, how much Halfley's game plan, specifically for Duke versus I mean, they just came on the schedule recently, but but they're a solid unit, so uh, you know we'll see what happens. You want to uh, keep it rolling right into prediction again? Like I said, that was that was very thorough, so I, I don't. Can you, have I'm to tired of talking, Matt. Can you say? Like, All right, fine. Words? I'll give you my prediction. So again, I think. As our guy Silve says, it's an opener and anything can happen in an opener. And I think that goes like for times 100 when it's an opener of a new head coach. Duke has literally zero to prepare for us. Like they, they don't know anything that, that we, could, we could literally do a thousand different things and they can't see any of them coming. Uh, not only from a, a player personnel perspective with the number of you know, transfers that we have in, but we have no way. I mean, we don't even know what scheme we're going to run, what Signetti and Halfway are going to put together. Uh, so I, I see this being basically, I mean, I do, I do think it will be a slow game, but it's an absolute kind of smash and grab win. They don't see us coming. They don't know what we're going to throw at them. And, and by the time they realize it, we're out of there with a, you know, with a two score win. So I'm going BC 31 Duke 18. I feel pretty comfortable about those numbers. I think that 
while Duke is, is certainly not a cakewalk by any means, this is a game that that we certainly can win, especially with the surprise factor rolled in. Yeah, my score is going to be similar. Before I get to my score, I do have three keys to the game here, Matt. I just want to mention them quickly. Number one, establish the run. As I mentioned, Duke's defense, is uh, they were susceptible to the run last year. And they, they sort of play small ball, which does not bode well with our absolute units on the O-line and a bowling ball like like Bailey. So I think if we do that, I think it'll open up the passing game, obviously. Um, number two, you want to keep Bryce guessing. Notre Dame, I think, did, did a really good job last week. Eventually, it took them a while. Um, but they did a good job mixing up blitz schemes. So Bryce checked down a lot, and, and they sort of avoided giving up the big play. Um, and, and Duke's offensive line is underwhelming. So I think it'll be... I think we'll know a lot more of, of how much our D-line has improved uh, if they can get, you know, uh, uh, pass rush going against this O-line. Last but not least, it's in-game adjustments. So obviously Daz is, is well known for not being able to make those in-game adjustments, whereas Halfley, it's sort of his bread and butter. It's what he does. It's what he did at Ohio State. He was up in the booth. And um, I remember he had a good quote last year where he said, you know, if you're, if you're making halftime adjustments, it's already too late. They got to be, you know, throughout the game. And so I'm looking forward to, to seeing that live. It's been a while since we've seen that. With all that, I got the Eags shaking off the rust, overcoming an early deficit, and I got them pulling away in a 28-22 to 22 victory. So, yeah, uh, we're pretty much I'm, right on the number there. Yeah, so a yeah, big week one victory, um, and we're on Texas State. I love it. I think that uh, yeah, I think we're very much on the same page there, and for for many good reasons. Uh, just quickly, Matt, because it is week one, I think it's tradition that we need to kind of run through our, our schedule predictions. We'll keep this very brief because I know we're already coming up on the hour. Um, so we talked about this last episode, but this schedule doesn't do as much to scare me as I think it probably should on paper. Um, on paper, it's a, it's an impossible schedule. Right now, we have six teams are ranked, but keep in mind that only sixty percent of Power Five conferences are playing. I think that's important. Like Pitt being ranked, for example, is laugh out loud funny. Virginia Tech has more COVID than like the state of Florida combined. UNC is is not a top fifteen football team, and we and we you know talked about Notre Dame as well. So I think that if you were to project out every game, we would be underdogs in the vast majority of them if they were handicapped right now. We're three and a half dogs to Duke on Saturday, but. I think riding BC Moneyline throughout the year on BetOnline is a surefire way for us to get rich in 2020. Um, clearly, I'm scared of Clemson. I think that goes to that segment. No one else here is really a boogeyman. And I love our chances with now having a great head coach in pretty much all these games. So I need this virus to stay under control long enough that we get Notre Dame and alumni like we talked about. But uh, just saving the drama, it's a 10-1 regular season. It just is. <laughs> we'll have another shot at Clemson in the ACC championship. I don't know why the entire country and, frankly, a lot of our fan base is sleeping on first-year half. He is, again, this guy's a genius. He's going to immediately ratchet up the defense with scheme alone and his track record of coaching up players, an elite offense. The only downside I have here in my notes is that we can't see alumni jammed to the brim and rocking during what I think will be one of the best seasons in BC history. Yeah, that's very well said, and I love the optimism, and I think our fan base loves the optimism. Let's just set the expectations real quick that – if we win six games this year, that's a success, okay? And we should be very happy with that, with the with the hand that half was dealt with the shortened off season, with um, you know having to plug all the transfers in, and you know everything that's gone on. It's been a really really tough off season for a first year head coach with the schedule being you know as hard as it is, and uh, and all that. If he can pull off a six you know six and five, I think against this schedule, that's pretty darn impressive. Uh, I'm with you. I do think we'll go probably eight and three is my official prediction. Obviously, you know, Clemson is, is a loss until proven otherwise. And then I, I do think, I do believe the hype with, with Louisville and UNC. And um, I do think we'll beat Notre Dame. But mm-hmm. um, I, I do think we'll have kind of a weirdo loss. And it might be on Saturday just because week one is, is such an unknown and anything could happen. Um, but, you know, obviously Halfley's had an undefeated offseason. So it's it's time to see if it translates to the gridiron. Eight and three. Are you feeling okay? I feel like that's... Eight and three is a, is a very good record. And hey, we're in the hunt to be in the AC championship with that. I mean, I guess. All right. You just, just, just got to finish second, man. Yeah, no, that's true. Maybe we're getting more, or maybe you're getting more realistic. Maybe that's actually kind of part of our, our, our growth from the dude to the get in era. Um, anything else to add? Or are you ready to uh, ready to move on? No, I think I think that does it for me. That's, that's everything I got on my list, Matt. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. Uh, I think, like we said, for a variety of reasons, this is a season we will never forget. But I cannot wait for Saturday to get here finally. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bet Online, Manscaped, Armchair, the guys at Eagle Insider 247. Keep an eye out for our official 2020 COVID theme koozie dropping this week, like we talked about. Tune into our live tailgate beers before kickoff on Saturday, assuming again we can figure out the, the IT behind that. 
Um, and we'll kind of give some tweets to figure out how that's all going to work. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fourth and Dude. Again, Matt, I know you're a little different on this, but the road to 10 and 1 is, is officially here. And let me just say that Saturday is going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame bad day to be a Bud Light. Get in, folks. 